let's just take a deep breath and let's just relax here, sit in this moment. Father, there's this tendency and this training that's take place with this generation to have such a short um, focus. There's a tendency to pull out our phone and check the phone, and if it's not the phone, it's a tablet, and if it's not the tablet, it's the computer or the TV or music. I ask that you would help us to be delivered from, from the lies of the enemy and the training that our minds, the conditioning that our minds have been put in over the past several years. I pray that people could just be at peace and silence and not doing something that the peace of God would um, overshadow them and dwell within them. I pray that in this moment that would happen, that you give us ears to hear. Father, open up our ears today. Hearts that are just hungry for you. Eyes that can see the things that you're doing. And minds that can comprehend, Father and feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are in James chapter five. This is our second week. Um, I was extremely encouraged last week um, by the sermon. Many people, um, <laughs> many people came and had conversations with me after church about their money. Usually when you talk about people's money, they're mad at you and they walk out the door. Last week was different. Last week was different where people were excited about what God was doing. Um, I hope we continually grow in that. Last week people were excited about the snapshot of what we saw Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship and the potential that God has put within this church. You know what though, like, um, when, not anymore, but probably like when I was 23, it was 23 years old, I was um, the highest weight that I ever was my whole life. Um, some people, you're like, Maybe, wow, that's a lot, or other people, you're like, I'm above that now. This is, this, this is just about me. So my, my healthy weight generally should be probably like 170. That's where I would sit, 170, 175. But I got up to pretty quickly 214 pounds. And I was bloated, and um, it never goes to my waist. It goes to my neck and my face and, of course, my belly. So... I remember looking at myself in the mirror and the Joey that I saw wasn't the 215 pound Joey, the Joey that I saw was the 170 pound Joey. See, sometimes we can lie to ourselves. We can lie to ourselves about who we are based upon who we used to be. You ever talk to Christians? You ever talk to Christians and you, and you say, um, testify about God or what's God been doing in your life and the only thing that Christians have to share about is the last encounter that they had with God or the last time that they connected with God was 30 years ago. You ever realize that? See, that's what I was doing with that picture or with, with, with my thought. I was 215 pounds and I looked look myself in the mirror and I saw a nice chiseled high school 175. What I was doing is I was reflecting on what I used to be and not acknowledging who I am today. Anyone ever been there? Just a couple of you? Oh, come on. Go look in the mirror right now. <laughs> Bob's like, mm-mm. And if you don't see it straight on, just do this. Look at it sideways. So why am I sharing that? the snapshot of Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship and what it used to be isn't the same snapshot today. 
the snapshot of who you used to be isn't who the snapshot of who you are today. Now, here's the good snapshot. Many of us used to be sinners. Used to be destined for hell. Separated from Jesus Christ for eternity. And the new snapshot has blood covered with the destiny of heaven and being with Christ forever. Amen? But just because blood is covered in our, on our snapshot, it doesn't mean that we're free to live however we want. There's now, because the blood in the frame that's on our life, there's um, guidelines and parameters and actions that God wants us to take. And what happens is the church and the American church has looked at the blood so much that then um, Ezekiel 16.47 says Sodom was destroyed because of its complacent heart. It was overfed and it had complacent hearts for the least of these. See, the American church, because of the blood, has become overfed and complacent. Look, I have become overfed and complacent. Someone else will do it. Someone else will get it. I need this time for me. Anyone else in here as an act of humility, maybe even repentance, become overfed and complacent. Praise God. See, you're looking at an accurate picture right now, aren't you? When you're willing to admit that, when you're willing to confess that, you're looking at yourself and you're seeing who you are. And it's not a bad thing to see who you are. It's actually a good thing. What the bad thing is is when you see who you are and you do nothing with it. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I don't know why I'm here. It's for somebody. As a church, let's live into the snapshot today of who God wants us to be because tomorrow is not promised. Amen? So when you see someone at Kroger who needs something today, don't pass them up. Why would you pass them up? When a loved one needs you today, why would you pass them up? When you're on your phone later and you're like, I'm going to Facebook some more. I'm going to sit on here and look at some cat videos or I need this time or I need Netflix. Why would you do that? Be in God's presence. Be in God's presence today. Don't be deceived by who you used to be. I believe this, this is a hard word, what I'm going to say next. I really believe it, though. Um, you should be able to ask Christians what you have learned from God this week, and they should have an answer. And if they don't, my belief and my understanding through my walk, what it means is they just haven't focused or connected with him that week. You haven't spent the time required or needed to know the heart of the Father. It's not that you're, um, God's mad at you. It's not that God hates you. It's not that you're even a sinner. It's that you've been distracted by so many things. Will you focus in on him this week? I'm done. We're going to get into James chapter 5. <laughs> we have not started yet. James, James's tone now from last week has changed. See, last week he was speaking very boldly against pride and those who are dependent on Christ. Now he is encouraging the believer to be patient in suffering. To be patient in suffering. James essentially is giving the church a call to, be patient, uh, to live in patient living when they are, they are under adverse situations. 
And who needs that today? Who's under an adverse situation in their life today? All of us. You don't want to raise your hand, but all of us. Coronavirus has changed this world. The election is going to change the world. And those are big picture things. There's things going on in individuals' lives today. Adverse situations, situations that that we've never faced before. That James is telling us to be patient in. Be patient, you just got fired. Be patient, you don't have work. Be patient, you don't have any money. Be patient, a loved one's in the hospital. Be patient, people are making fun of you as, as a Christian. Be patient, you don't have a spouse. James is telling the church to be patient in suffering and hard times. So as the church waits for Christ's return, James is reminding us that it's going to be hard and the harder it gets, people are going to be tempted to criticize, grumble, and complain about others. You guys ever notice that? You just get all testy, then you start getting tempted to complain about other people. I learned pretty quickly in marriage, I think within the first six six months, that as a human, (laughs) as a human, what ends up happening is my spiritual state has to point to something. So my spiritual state, if it's off, it's hard to point at God to be the wrong one, so then I just pointed at Macy. Anyone ever done that? You've just been so frustrated that then you just start pointing your finger at, the, at a loved one and you start criticizing them. And I think what James is gonna share with us today is look, slow down, be patient in that criticism. The things that are going on in you is not necessarily the other person's fault. It's that you're, there's turmoil within you. And he's saying be patient in that criticism as well. So the problem wasn't Macy's problem. The problem was actually my problem and what God was doing in my heart. But Macy was the only tangible thing to point it to. In my human rational mind, the only thing that I could say is, oh, it has to be your fault. And it wasn't. It was my fault for my lack of, lack of submission. Therefore, James is going to give us three illustrations to help us understand the importance of patience, suffering, and the Lord's return. So he's going to give us a farmer, a prophet, and Job. He's going to use those three as an illustration. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in uh, the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Again, James gives us three examples in that scripture of how how our heart should be like a farmer, like the prophets, and like Job. So if you're taking notes today, mental notes, mental snapshots, Hand notes, which I think are the best. Trust God with things outside of your power. 
Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. Any farmers in here? One. So we're just gonna look to the one farmer, but many of you guys growing up in a farm community or living in a farm community, you're familiar with it. You don't need to be a farmer to understand this illustration. The first parallel that James draws for us as believers is to be patient until the Lord's coming the way that a farmer is patient for the yield. There is patience and faith that is required when farming. Macy and I were farmers this year. Really small time farmers. I'm not gonna make a bunch of money off of it actually. So uh, bad year, write it off. $2.50 we get a write off for all the seeds we bought. They're gonna give us a big tax break next year. So what happened is Macy planted the seeds. You guys heard this story. Put it in our window seal. We had our nice greenhouse that we got from Lowe's. I guess another 750 we can write off. What's our farm name too? Brown's Farming and Dog House? <laughs> Who knows? LLC, huh? Yeah. See, we even have farming of fish too, the koi pond. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on focus. So, so Macy planted the seeds, put them in the window seal, and she watered them. She did everything that she could do. She couldn't make the seeds grow. No farmer can make any seed grow. Period. I don't care the fertilizer you put on it. I don't care how much water you give it. Don't care how much you work the ground beforehand or how many years you set it aside. God's the one that brings the growth. What James is telling us is as believers, when we face hard times, in waiting for Christ's return, which is the focus, see, as we read the scripture, there's patience until Christ's return. And, and when it talks about until, until, what it's saying is that's, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're looking towards. It wasn't until you die be, face um, or have perseverance. It was until the Lord returns. So the goal is the Lord, Lord returning and our perseverance is until he returns on earth or until we see him face to face. And that's, in a sense, his return. It was said that in the Eastern Mediterranean that um, there were two, se two seasons of rain that normally took place. Not only normal, but necessary for the life of the crops. Who in here can make it rain? Now, I'm not talking about you younger generations who are making it rain, right? Look at Mark back there smiling. I heard Trina back there too. I'm not talking about making it rain with money. Who can make it rain in here? See, and if it doesn't rain, the farmers don't even have a well to water their plants. So there has to be this dependence and faith and trust in God, even during droughts, that God is at work and he's going to provide. But first, the farmer does everything that he's able to do. He prepares the ground for the seed, then he plants the seed. But you need it to rain for the seed. But if it rains too much, what happens to your seed? It rots, doesn't grow. Yet farmers are some of the most faith-filled people, and some of them don't even know it. You got farmers have faith. And that's, that, that's an entry point to evangelize to them if you evangelize to farmers. If you ever see a farmer, to start with this, you have more faith than you ever imagined. And then let them know about their faith of planting the seed and trusting that water is going to come. 
and that the water is going to come from God. So, um, the temperature needs to be right. It needs to be warm enough without freezing. The elements for the seed to grow just right need to be there. The farmers plant, and they do what um, they know that they can with their hands. So I don't care what fertilizer, how much water or little water. I don't care how much you cater to the field. God is the only one who can bring the growth. I believe James is telling us to have faith as things don't go the way we have planned. See, like a farmer, there are going to be good days and bad days. Equipment's going to break. Seeds aren't going to grow like you want them to. Seasons where you lose a bunch of money. Christians are going to be discouraged and persecuted. In this world, there is going to be injustice taking place all of the time. Turn on the news for three minutes and you will see it. Turn on the news for three minutes and you will see the things that this world is persevering through. Even if it's just the lies from the media. Right? We are going to have wide questions We are going to want things to end. There are going to be moments where we want to give up. Times we uh, don't know which way is up. And experiences where it feels like God just doesn't care. But James wants us to work hard like a farmer. And trust God with things that are out of our control. Just as a farmer trusts that God will bring the rain... We are to patiently wait for Christ's return through perseverance. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Endure it. Be patient. He continues in verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isn't that good? Do not grow weary in doing good, for at at the proper time We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I hear patience throughout this verse. Do you guys hear it? Don't grow weary. At the proper time. Don't give up. Patience, patience, patience. Look, we'd love to see a church full, right? It makes us feel like we're a part of something bigger than self. I like to have seen last week during Faith Week 100% participation. You know what? Patience, patience. Don't grow weary. At the proper time, don't give up. That's what James is asking us to do. Now, those weren't James, James's words. But that's the heart of what he's asking the believer to participate in. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So what James is telling us is not only be patient, 
but were too long for his appearing. Now, I wrestle through that because I'll be honest with you. When I'm watching cat videos or whatever video comes up on my timeline, I'm not longing for his appearing, right? I'm distracted by the suffering that I'm facing. I try to have distractions in my life to keep me from encountering the presence of God because I think it's easier to be distracted than it is to press in. And what James is trying to tell us the goal is this, is be people who long for his appearing. And if we are people who long for his appearing, then the suffering, the suffering isn't going to keep us down. We're gonna be able to persevere through it. But if the goal is simply just to live a good life, then the suffering will kill us. We'll have a thousand questions. I just wonder what our church would look like if we were a church that longed for Christ's appearing. Not just having moments of it, not just having a glimpse of it, but we were a church that longed for it. In my mind, in theory, our worship experience or our moments of song here at the church might look different. The way that we outreach might look different. The way that we pray might look different. The way that we walk in fellowship might look different. And you know what? Sometimes I wish I could just preach like this so that it feels like I'm preaching at myself too. But the problem, to go back to where we were at the pre-sermon, pre-sermon, we've got like three today. It's free. You don't need to give any more money on the way out. In the first sermon, what the connection point is this is... Um, Man, I'm reeling her back in. I need, to, I need to do better at this. I'm sorry. Pa we need to be patient. And look to him. Amen. I'm going to move on. So I don't, uh, I want to give you your money's worth. James is talking to those who are facing persecution and feel like they are about to lose the battle. Anyone ever feel like you're about to lose the battle? I have. He says, be patient and stand firm. He's saying, toughen up. Now, you can't toughen up by just say, saying to yourself, I'm going to be tough. You can't do that. You cannot toughen up the way that we are called to toughen up without the presence of God in our life. What I believe James is telling us is to stand firm in the strength that comes from God. You don't get the strength from God by just saying you're a Christian and living life. You get the strength from God from longing for his return and spending time with him in his presence. See, if I'm longing for his return today, that's gonna set my steps. If I'm longing to mow my grass today, that's going to set my steps. But it doesn't mean you can't mow the grass and long for his return. But what it means is as you long for his return and you mow his grass, you, or yeah, mow his grass, as you mow his grass, you do it unto him. Right? Long for his return and set your steps. See, if I long for his return, I don't, Hold on, like I talked about last week, to everything else in this world. And when I am confronted by the mess that's in my life, I actually say, praise God. Because when I'm confronted, that means now that I'm aware of it, God can deal with it. So the confrontation of mess isn't a bad thing. So if you're not longing for God's return within your heart today, and now you're confronted with it, praise God. Now you can deal with it. 
So how do we stand firm? Well, first, we fix our thoughts on Jesus' return. He is the prize of life. Fix your thoughts on that today. He's the prize. Jesus is the prize. His return is the prize. This life is not the prize. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. The church can get so churchy and fix our eyes on so many other things that even things of the church can become false idols where, where we have a generation that, that, we've fixing, that we've fixed our eyes on having a cool prophetic word. Or um, instead of being a child of God first, we are a prophet. Or we're an evangelist. No, fix your eyes on the prize. The prize isn't fitting in. The prize isn't how big the church becomes. The prize isn't how many resources you have at your disposal. I'm filtering some things. I want to stay on track. Now the hard part about standing firm and being patient is we're going to have to be okay with fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're going to have to be okay with suffering injustice. We're going to have to be okay with deferring our retaliation towards another to God. That's a hard one, isn't it? To trust God, to defer your retaliation towards someone else to God. You're going to suffer injustice. Things are not going to go your way all of the time. So point number one, we fix our eyes on Jesus because hard times will come. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which has so easily entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For um, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Run the race and fix your eyes on Jesus. I hear repentance in that verse as well. There's repentance all throughout the Bible. See, what, the, what, what we have a tendency to do is we fix our eyes on things that we want. I want to be popular. I want to be famous. I want to retire with this amount of money. I want to feel important. I want people to think I have a good life, so I dress in these nice clothes. We fix our eyes on what we think we should be rather than Jesus. And what he's saying is, quit fixing your eyes on these things and fix your eyes on me. I hear repentance there. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because hard times will come. And you know what? Um, how could we be in this verse and just not thank God for it was the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. Thank you, Jesus. As, as we just take this moment and thank you for allowing us to walk in friendship and communion with the Father because of your sacrifice. None of you would have done it. I wouldn't have either. You think you're heroic, you're not. There was one person who ever could, and it was Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So not only fix your eyes on him, 
but then willing to be willing to suffer injustice in this life. Things are not always going to go your way. You're not always going get, to get the promotion. You're not always going to get the applause. Sometimes you will be left behind. The church will betray you. Christians will hurt you. Friends will stab you in the back. And you sit there and you say, why? Why? Well, because the Bible said it would happen. That's why. Is that an easy enough answer for all the why questions? It doesn't mean we like them. Easy enough answer is the Bible says so. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who wants to live a godly life in here? Participating church. Okay. Now, who wants to be persecuted? Now, I want to ask this. Who wants to be persecuted knowing that that's how you can walk in relationship with Christ? Me too. He's worthy of it all. You're going to face injustice and hurts in this life. And what James is telling us is endure it. Persevere through it. Hold on. Keep going. Trust me. Love me. Connect with me. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> I can imagine having that. Rob, why are you surprised? Come on now. Like, wh why? Mark, why are you surprised? Why? It's nothing strange. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed, Rob. Nicole, you are blessed. For the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Just continue to do good. I'll tell you what. You know what I want to commit to good in? I, I want to say, God, I'm committing to good for the rest of my life. But you know what God does to me? is God only allows me to commit my good to my next step. I'm serious. Like, There's so many things going on within this world and with individual lives. Not just my life, but your life. Things that I don't know about or others in this room don't even know about. Insecurities that you may have never even shared with a spouse. I can't commit to good for the next 10 years. I can commit to good based upon the way that God has tested and, and put my life into place just for the next step. And at the end of the day, when my watch tells me on busy days I have 15,000 steps, and on days that I put together the sermon I have like 300, that at every step, 15,000 or 300, that I trusted him, that I looked to him, and that I was willing to suffer through the injustice that I faced. That I would commit myself to the faithful creator and continue to do good.
during this election, during your season of life, are you willing to commit yourself to trusting him and doing good with every step? Next thing is we uh, defer our retaliation towards others to God. Man, you just get on like 270 or 315, 71, you're really gonna be tested. I mean, like, <laughs> you will be tested. Yeah, you don't even have to go that far. Now it's, now it's in Plain City. And another 20 years, Mechanicsburg is going to be a suburb of Columbus. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into, the, um, into being and the earth was formed out of the waters and by water. By these water, waters also, the world um, of that time was uh, deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are uh, reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So by the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Judgment is coming on this world. You see that? Judgment is coming for the ungodly. It's been reserved for a time. So you know what? Man, I hear a lot of it. This candidate or this person in the government or this or this or this. When you publicly have choice words against that person, that's retaliation. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you biblically rebuke them. But when you publicly just have your choice words without scripture, that's retaliation. Look, my sister thought it would be cute that she would put on Facebook without any permission. She said, she said, what do you think? Or if I get 50 comments, I'll egg my brother. Of course, I think Scott just hit space and enter 80 times just to get it. He did this number right here. Okay, we got the 50 comments right there. Okay, here's the thing. Randy learned, once I hit the age of five, <laughs> retaliation, the, uh, like the retaliation, it just doesn't work anymore. And I was on steroids because of my asthma. So I was a big bulldozer, boy. Coming through here. Blueberry bomber. She learned. One time, one time, um, because my retaliation was so strong, um, my frustration with her, she knew that the only way for her to get me was to get me while I was sleeping. So I'm sleeping on the couch in the living room, and God bless you, Randy, wherever you are, uh, you shouldn't have done it. You just shouldn't have done it, and I wouldn't have to confess all the hurt you put me through. <laughs> she took, um, I think it was Nesquik, I mean, as a kid, that's valuable stuff. You don't, you don't take your Nesquik stash and use it as a weapon on your brother who's sleeping. So she took it. I'm just sound asleep. She took that tin thing and poof, hit me right in the face with it. And the thing about it is I was taking karate during this time. So she ran screaming immediately. Look, if you're going to pick a fight, stand there and fight. <laughs> she threw it on me. She started screaming. No parents were home at this moment. 
that we were aware of. So I start to chase her. We had three doors in the house, enter and exit. So she ran out the one, and I ran out the one. And then as I run out that one, she gets to the side door. She goes in, and she locks it. So then now we're at the side. You got the back door that I know is unlocked. You got the front door that I think is unlocked. Which one do you go to? It's like you're playing rock, paper, scissors. But then she can see, so she can play it. She's got the shorter route. So I sprint to the front door. Locked. Sprint to the back door. Locked. Sprint back to the front door. Locked. So then she's in the other side, right? And we had uh, a glass pane on, on the doors. So she's on the other side doing all this weird stuff. I'm not even going to go there. Like, just flaunting it. Like, mm, mm, mm. You know? Like. So being that I'm taking karate... I look over at my brother who's just following. Like, what are we doing? You know what I'm doing. So I sit there out of retaliation. I didn't even care. I sat back and I got my karate stance and I busted out the window with my hand. Just busted it out. Yeah. And my brother looked at me and he's like, I think he's Jackie Chan. <laughs> he was so impressed. In the moment that my sister saw that I think she died. She's like, not only are we all dead now from our parents, but he can now get inside. So I stick my hand through the glass window, unlock the door, then my parents get home. No retaliation, no nothing. There's this tendency to want to give people what they had coming. How about this? You're frustrated with your spouse, so you just give them the silent treatment. I'm not talking to you. I'm not going to do that. No, when we committed to God in marriage, when we said, God, through sickness and health, through good times and bad times, that means that in bad times, I'm going to give Macy my best. In arguments, I'm going to give Macy my best. In disagreements, I'm going to give Macy my best. I'm not going to retaliate towards her. I'm not going to retaliate towards other. Because that retaliation is for who? God. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, of everyone. It is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's what Randy was trying to do. She read this scripture and she said, I'm going to give you something to drink. She said, you're just sleeping and there's no moisture with it. <laughs> All right, Randy, I still love you. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's really hard. He's telling us to look to his return. He's telling us to be patient. And I think about some of the jobs that people have in here and, and and the wicked people they have to work with. And Christ is saying, be patient and allow the, um, the justice and the retaliation to be done by him. Do good in that. Verse nine, don't grumble against another one, but brothers and, uh, but brothers and sisters or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It's pretty plain and simple. James makes it pretty clear. Don't grumble against another one, brothers and sisters. What do you think one of the biggest problems within the church is? Not just this church, but within the American church, within the global church. Gossip and grumbling. And the gossip and the grumbling comes out of a pure heart. Macy, I gotta tell you about 
we want to pray for this person, don't we? We're going to pray for this person. Or I go to Stu and I say, Stu, I need advice on this. You won't believe what I found out about the dirt on this person. Can we look in the mirror real quick and just be honest? How many of you guys have ever grumbled about someone within the church? We have. I have. Look, we can laugh at it and we can move past it. We can say, I'm sorry. God, my heart has not aligned with your heart in that area. I want to do better. Don't complain about people or you will be judged. Who wants that judgment on them? See, it, what's interesting about this is James is saying the judge is standing at the door. It doesn't say the judge is far off. It doesn't say the judge um, will one day come. No. It doesn't even say the judge is sitting in his six-year-old karate stance. The judge doesn't need to kung fu the glass to bring what he has coming. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as uh, blessed those who have persevered. So James furthers this idea. He says, not only be patient through time, you know, farmers, it's, it's, it's this time. Not only be patient through um, frustration and, and people, um, injustices. But now what he's saying is, um, in the middle of hard times, speak truth. Like the prophets. In the middle of what you're going through, speak truth like the prophets. Isn't that hard too? Because when you get home and you just face this hard time and this um, persecution and you have to persevere through things, the last thing you want to do is speak truth. You want to find the key lime pie or the s'mores ice cream. And you just want to relax. But what James is telling us is in the middle of everything, continually speak truth. So we are to speak truth, stand firm, keep people accountable, and teach the love of Christ, Christ on the cross. I don't know about you, but hearts are usually open when tough times come about. Right? There's a lot of open hearts right now. There's few people speaking truth. Let's continue. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. As we persevere, James is telling us that God is full of compassion and mercy. Do you all remember what Job went through as we read it earlier in the year? That was a long book, wasn't it? Long book. And what was hard about that book is not only was it a long book, but every step hurt. Every step was scary. Every step you got frustrated. Like, when will this end? Essentially, he lost everything um, except his life. That was it. Everything. Think of everything, and it was gone. Even his friends were hard on him. Job didn't understand And I don't know if you guys remember, but earlier in the book, James also mentioned Job. So this is the second time he's brought up Job. The book of Job isn't about why bad things happen to good people. The book of Job is about will we trust God even when hard things come about, right? So now he's bringing that same scenario up. James is reminding us to persevere like Job because in the end, we will see that God is still a loving God. Job 42, five through six. This is Job speaking. 
My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust and the ashes. He had heard of him, but now he's saying, I'm connected with you. I understand the connection of you. There's a deep understanding of who God was. Job didn't leave bitter. He didn't leave angry. But his words were, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Are we willing to trust God enough that everything we go through, that we're willing to have that same attitude, but now I see you, God, and it was worth it? That's hard, isn't it? What if we had to lose everything like Job to see God? Would it be worth it? That's hard. But that's what James is calling us to do. To persevere like Job. To see that God is a loving God. Just because we can't see it now doesn't mean that God isn't working. Job didn't know the end of the story. But Job, at the end of the story, at the end of the story, was willing to thank God. Verse 12, and we're finishing up. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven uh, or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What's he saying? Be consistent in your speech and let your yes be yes and your no be no. The way you live your life should not require you to make a promise. That goes pretty deep, doesn't it? The way you live your life should not require you to make a promise. The people around you, based upon your yeses and your no, should know that you're consistent in that. So many people are so afraid of swearing because the Bible says don't swear. <laughs> you want something deep? If people want something deep, look, here's, here's a, something a little bit deeper. That's not about the swear, it's about the way that you live. You don't hear that often about swearing, do you? Swearing isn't about the promise because everyone else knows we're gonna break the promise anyways. Swearing, do not swear in the Bible is about you living as a person of integrity and not needing that, amen? So if you say you're going to the golf scramble, you will be there. If you're not, just say you're not gonna be there. If you say you're coming to an outreach night, then be there. You don't need to be the person that has said yes so many times and then now you've said no so many or you never lived into the yes that now you have to say, I know I've failed you in the past, but I promise you I'll be there. James is saying, no, just be a person of integrity and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? That's a deep person right there. And we've all failed in that area. But what happens is we want to please man more than we want to please God. So often we over-yes. Any over-yesers in here? So throughout this section, James is encouraging us to endure and trust God is at work like a farmer who patiently waits for God to provide, like the prophets who speak truth in the midst of suffering, and like Job, who lost everything, but in the end knew that God was at work. So we must do our work, pray, reach out to people, and connect with God in prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father help us persevere like the farmer like Job and like the prophets help us speak truth help us trust your timing and help us trust that when it seems like we're losing everything that you are at work
May, may my words not just be words, but as I speak your word, Father, may your word bring life this week to us. I pray for the power of, of your living word to bring life because of your words presented today. Encourage us, may it not have to be heavy. Give us joy and peace. Father, I pray for a hope-filled congregation right now. Smiles. Father, we, we, as the world is telling us everything is going to hell, I pray that you would stir up a church full of hope because we're willing to persevere and look to you. May we look to you and long for your return. May we just smile because of how good you are, that we win because of Jesus. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. If you're interested in helping at the golf scramble, I don't need a promise, I just need your yes.